Friends, as we come to the Word of God this morning, I'm always mindful on a Thanksgiving Sunday. I take a break from whatever message I may have. Last week, I was looking forward to sharing with you Jesus' letter to the church in excuse me, a little frog in my throat, the church in Smyrna, and we'll get back to that series next week as we visit that, but uh, we'll take a little side trip today back to modern-day Turkey. But uh, Thanksgiving is such a wonderful holiday. We appreciate that uh, the world around us, especially in North America and other countries, set aside days of national Thanksgiving. In the past, that was Thanksgiving given to God for a certain particular situation. Now we know it's uh, kind of uh, in a secular society that meaning of Thanksgiving to a loving God is not as prominent as it once was, but in the hearts of God's people, it's still celebrated that way. But it's also something that we seek to cultivate as an attitude and as a life throughout the year, Thanksgiving. But we know it's a difficult time, especially those of us who, uh, my wife and I coming out of, a, out of a season of illness this past week and many other people in our community. And as we've shared today, a lot of circumstances that people uh, seek to be thankful in, if not quite for some of the circumstances. When I look at these circumstances that we all face in life, the difficulties of life, I look at them like the headwinds. I like this this picture that I'm showing you. It's quite an evocative picture. Sometimes life feels that way, that you're pushing against the wind, that it's blowing against you. Uh, the, 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 the artist, the writes in the in the sky the letters it's the difficulties in life relational difficulties those headwinds that we face physical struggles we face relational turmoil we face emotional baggage and trauma that people deal with in their everyday lives and yet in the midst of all of this in the midst of all of this we seek to be thankful because this has been revealed to us in scripture as god's will for us. As you saw in the front of your bulletin, our theme verse today is found in Paul's injunction to the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, a city, by the way, that we visited in adult Sunday school today, our wonderful series is following in the footsteps in pursuit of the Apostle Paul. And in today's past, uh, in today's uh, lesson, we were in Paul's uh, second missionary journey as he and Silas crossed into Europe in one of the cities they visit. And we saw laid out before us is the beautiful modern day city in Greece of uh, Thessaloniki, ancient Thessalonica. To this church, the Apostle Paul, he planted a church very quickly there. He may have been only there two Sabbath days sharing the good news of the gospel and then had to leave suddenly because of persecution that was dogging his hills. But he wrote these letters to the church in Thessalonica, First and Second Thessalonians, to encourage and build up because the seed that they planted so quickly flourished and it became a very strong and healthy church. In writing to them, the Apostle Paul writes practical letters. He encourages them and answers some of the theological questions they have, especially about believers. If believers pass away before the return of Christ, the things that uh, they were wondering about, Paul seeks to answer in his letters. But near the end of the first letter, he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes, I'll begin a little earlier in verse 16, a simple injunction revealing the will of God to us. He tells the believers of Thessalonica, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
the picture alongside there of the, the, the man who's homeless, and it always touches your heartstrings to see someone who is homeless, either through uh, being enslaved to, a, through a, to an addiction or from just the circumstances of life they find themselves uh, without care. Oftentimes I see homeless people uh, that don't feel cared for by any other human and oftentimes they will have an animal, a pet, a dog or some other animal to be with them and, and show some care for them and you see the two of them on the street suffering and you say, how in the world could I ever be thankful in those dire circumstances? And yet the Apostle Paul says we, it is God's will for you and I to be thankful despite the headwinds of life in all circumstances. Now that shows a, a strength underlying that which we're thankful for, that beyond circumstances that gives us strength in our thankfulness and resilience. In fact, I've titled today's message, Resilient Thankfulness. Farmers understand resilience. They understand that they live in light of the future, that this year may be tough, but there's always next year, that the drought may be strong, but there's always an end to it, that God is trustworthy, God is faithful, Resilience, the word itself, we hear it thrown around a lot, but resilience originally meant the ability to bounce back. If something is bent out of shape and you let it go and it returns to the shape it was, that substance is resilient. People wondered after the the devastation, physical, economic, relational, after the COVID pandemic, the dust settled, if societies, economies, lives would be resilient and take back a form of normalcy. That's resilience. But I see resilience as well as that which underlies the outer appearances. The people have a strength, something solid within that they are thankful for. Despite the circumstances, the foundation of their lives, their outlook, their worldview gives them strength and resilience. As I mentioned, we'll take a little side trip today during the series on the seven churches of Revelation. I have a number of pictures and want to share some experiences of our recent trip in May to each one of those cities in modern-day Turkey. But whenever we go to Turkey, we always visit the capital. Uh, Not the capital of Turkey today, that's Ankara in central Anatolia, but the capital of the ancient Byzantine Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, ancient Constantinople, which is modern-day, the modern-day city of Istanbul. In Istanbul, you walk to the old portion of the city where the ancient buildings stand, and there's an enormous plaza. Look at the picture of the plaza, bedecked in flags. It's called today, it's called the Horse Plaza, and it's an enormous open area of cobblestones, and uh, just next to it is the Blue Mosque, and, and to the east of it is the ancient church, the Hagia Sophia. But there's this beautiful open plaza which lends itself to holidays and celebrations in Istanbul of the Turkish people. But if you look in the middle of that picture, you see not only a minaret to your left, but you look further down the plaza and you see something that seems out of place, something much more ancient, a shape, pyramidal shape on top and a long obelisk like the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., because it is an obelisk. It's, the, uh, it's called the Column of Theodosius. Now, the reason for that is the horse plaza 
is the remains of an ancient structure, one of the most important structures of that ancient city called the Hippodrome. It was the center for entertainment and political rallies, the center of life for the ancient people, the Eastern Roman Empire, in their great capital of Constantinople. Now that column you see, that ancient Egyptian obelisk, was part of the Hippodrome, a structure that ran right down the middle of the horse racing track called the Spine or the Spina. I have a picture, a recreation of that ancient Hippodrome. That's what it would have looked like. In the background, you see the church that still stands with its great dome, the Hagia Sophia, built about 530 under the Emperor Justinian. And down the middle of that track, that great Hippodrome, which was built by the first of the Christian emperors, Constantine himself, he wanted his Hippodrome, built upon the model of the Circus Maximus in Rome, his city of New Rome, he wanted the spine, that central island of his chariot racing track, to hold all the monuments of the ancient world. And so he sought to bring from all across the empire famous structures and decorate the spina, the spine of his hippodrome. Among those structures that still stand there, for instance, is the serpent column from the Oracle of Delphi, which celebrated the Greek city-state's victory over the Persians. But the one that caught my attention, because it looks brand new, is that great Egyptian obelisk you see standing right there in the middle. It still stands there. This is active earthquake zone, but it hasn't budged an inch since it was set up over 1,500 years ago. It's still standing perfectly in its spot. Uh, Tyson will show a picture of what that looks like today, that obelisk. Now, you see the obelisk, and it's quite tall, but it's not as tall as it should be. In fact, it was being shipped. One of two obelisks were being shipped from ancient Egypt, taken outside the great temple at Karnak. Both of these obelisks made of red granite were uh, carved under one of the greatest of the Egyptian pharaohs. His name was Thutmose, Thutmose III, referred to as the Napoleon of the ancient Egyptian world. This obelisk celebrates not only his dedication to the Egyptian god Amun, but it celebrates his victories all the way to Mesopotamia. In fact, this obelisk, the hieroglyphics, uh, spell out his victories over the kingdom of Mitanni, which is on the shore of the river Euphrates. Now, the obelisk, it was delivered to uh, modern-day Turkey just down the coast from Istanbul in one piece, but traveling from the port to the capital, it broke in half. And so we're only seeing the top half of that column. The lower half is actually uh, on display in a city near the port where it broke. Now, the column itself, as I said, was carved out of red granite. It sits upon a pedestal, a beautifully carved pedestal of white local marble. Uh, the next picture, I think, will show the, the two sides. The column itself, you see, this granite column, and below it, the scene you see carved on that pediment that it stood upon, that is the emperor who was in power when the column arrived. His name was Theodosius. It took 60 years from the construction of the Hippodrome to the arrival of this great column to decorate it. Now, in that time, that pediment has eroded. It is worn away. It's hard to tell who those figures are. That was Emperor Theodosius. That was his two sons, Honorius and Arcadius, who eventually both became emperors themselves. 
And you look at it and you say, oh, I'd like to have seen that when it was new 1,500 years ago. Because the column that sits on it is pristine. It's incredible. You look at those hieroglyphs, they could have been carved yesterday. There is no worn edges in this red granite obelisk of Thutmose III. You realize that column? It would have been old if it was just set up new with the marble base at 1,500 years ago. The column on there is 3,000 years old. 3,000 years old, and it looks brand new. It's incredible. You see all of the old structures in Istanbul, everything sagging, eroded, and worn down, and being restored, not the obelisk of Thutmose. It is strong. It is solid. It's resilient. All of the winds of time that have blown over it, the sandstorms of Egypt, the, the uh, stormy seas as it sailed through, and the, and the centuries after centuries that is set as empires have risen and fallen around it, and it hasn't changed. There's something powerful about the red granite from which it was carved. Friends, I use that as an example because that's what I want for the foundation in my heart for my thankfulness to God. We want firm foundations, firm, solid foundations based on the teaching of God's word for our thankfulness. If we are thankful just for things, for circumstances, our thankfulness, like our appetites, they come and go. We are happy today, we're sad tomorrow. It's like the winds of life blow us in all different directions. But we want that foundation, that rock-solid resilience in our heart of hearts that sees us through the circumstances of life. That we can be thankful in all things, not just for what we have today, but in all things be thankful. We see those firm foundations spelled out throughout God's word, his love letter to us, the Bible. For instance, in Psalm 107, we're told that the foundation of our thankfulness is God's incredible, enduring love. It lasts it doesn't erode. It doesn't fade away. How joyful we are when we see something exciting like Jake and Peggy Leverett's 75th wedding anniversary coming up. I love to see a couple that have been through the storms of life in their golden years, in their old age, holding hands, being loving, and being tenderhearted toward one another. Their love has lasted over the decades. But God's love is eternal. And it is enduring. And we're told in Psalm 107, the psalmist leading the people in praise says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And God just doesn't love you in his heart. He acts on it in a gracious manner. Not only is his love enduring, but his grace is amazing. God's amazing grace is an outworking of his love toward you, as we know from John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul writes in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his, love, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I can be thankful in all things because of God's enduring love and his amazing grace shown toward us as Jesus took your sins to the cross and died in your place, that through faith in him, you can have eternal life. 
And God does not just save you and forget you. He's with you. Behold, I be with you always to the very end of the age. God's incredible presence. That's one of the things celebrated in Psalm 23, the shepherd psalm. That special thing in the life of God's people. They can say that even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As we've shared during prayer time of some very tough situations, those situations are transformed by the love and the presence of God. Oh, we are blessed people. No matter the circumstances, we are incredibly blessed. As the old hymn says for us to count our blessings, we need to. Not only is God present with us, but he gives you incredible strength to be resilient, to be enduring, not to erode and wear away your faith through the winds of life, but to be strong like that red granite obelisk that looks brand new. Your faith is young and fresh because of the strength of God. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, he tells them, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul spells out all the circumstances of life, and he knows what it is to be content, at peace, at rest in the arms of Jesus. He can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. That strength. The Apostle Paul, it's not on the screen, but remember, recall what he tells you is your birthright as a believer, to have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. No matter what the circumstances, when they become difficult, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he talks about having Jesus like a treasure in our jars of clay so that when we're hard-pressed, we're not crushed. When we're perplexed, we don't despair. When we're persecuted, we're not abandoned. When we're struck down, when we're struck down, we're not destroyed. This is God's presence and his strength in your lives. That's your firm foundation for thankfulness. Jesus, who loves you, who lives in your heart through faith. You're safe in the arms of Jesus, no matter which way the winds of life blow. But we need to be mindful, because if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, but turn it away to focus on self and things of this world, the winds of the world will blow, and our joy and our thankfulness will erode. It'll wear away. <laughs> I love that puppet. I don't know if you guys... <coughs> Like, uh, like uh, who's that, Jeff Foxworthy? That's his puppet? Jeff Dunham. Jeff Dunham. That's right. I knew there's there a couple Jeffs that, one's a hillbilly and one's, yeah, Jeff Dunham. At first I thought I was putting a picture of a, a politician up there. I won't say which politician that resembles, but, but this is Walter. That's Walter, Jeff Dunham's grumpy old man character. I love Walter. Nothing makes him thankful He's impervious to good news. He sees the glass not only as half empty, but dirty and broken. And, you know, and it's a caricature. 
We smile and laugh, but there's a little bit of Walter in all of us if we're not careful. Our erosion of thankfulness, those things will take away our joy, take our eyes off God. Where do we turn our eyes if it's not on Jesus? It tends to be on self. One of the things that are toxic to thankfulness is pride, self. Pride is that poison that goes all the way back to the beginning of our fall, the beginning of our struggles with sin and self. Proverbs chapter 8 reveals that God hates pride because it separates us from him. Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. God hates pride, not a healthy pride, a joy and achievement, but the focus on self, putting self above others, making ourselves the center of the story rather than having a life centered on Jesus, making God the center of our life. And you know, when it's about me, my likes, my desires, my wishes, when I feel the world's revolving around me, the thing that's easiest to do rather than be thankful is to complain and to criticize. Complaint and criticism, those two erode away our thankfulness. Paul, again, writing to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Isn't it amazing that man's greatest achievement as far as dissemination of, of, of information, knowledge, dare say wisdom, the internet. But what's it used mostly for? Complaints and criticism. It's what it is. People complaining. That wears away the spirit of gratitude and thankfulness. But it's not just sin and selfishness that does that. It can be just the passage of time. We are so familiar with God's goodness. We hear about it all the time. We celebrate it when we come to church. It's the background noise of our lives. Unless we bring it to the foreground, we begin to take God and his great love for us for granted. I'm always amazed I know it must have been terrible to go through the wilderness wanderings, but I love the stories of God's people in the wilderness because they live in such a different time from us, but they're so much like us. They were hungry in the desert. God gave them the perfect food, bread from heaven. He gave them manna. But after time, they became familiar with it. They took it for granted, and they began to complain they became overly familiar with it. It lost its wonder. I'm not going to go into great detail, but as the perfect food, I believe manna was so perfect that it was completely used, completely used for the body's well-being. I don't believe there was any waste in manna, that anything passed from you. It was perfect. The greatest food anyone would ever taste, but... They got used to it. So what do we read in Numbers chapter 11? It says in verse 4, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers. 
the melons, the leeks, onions, garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Can you imagine turning your nose up at the bread of heaven given from God's own hand? It's amazing. But we do that. We become overly familiar with God's goodness. We need to fall in love fresh and new with the wonder of what God's done for us in his grace and his great love for us. Again, in adult Sunday school, following the footsteps of Paul, we went right to Athens, there on the Acropolis and the Areopagus, where Paul delivered a wonderful, stirring address to the Greek philosophers. And yet, in their human wisdom, they laughed at him. Because the spirit of the age, the spirit of human wisdom, thinks that a risen Lord is foolishness, that you're kidding yourself. It's only a fairy tale. They don't see the reality, the truth, the change that God makes in our lives. But that's that foolishness, that focus on self and the secular world that drains away thankfulness. Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, speaking of the spirit of the age, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. It is foolish not to be thankful. Our right relationship with God as our creator, we, his creatures, is one of praise and thanksgiving. For God is good and his love endures forever. My prayer for each one of us this Thanksgiving season and every day is that our thankfulness triumphs over those headwinds of life and the erosion to our thankfulness, that we experience a triumphant thankfulness. The picture I took is from one of the Jesus films, and, and it's uh, from the Synoptic Gospels, and this is Jesus praying at the tomb of Lazarus. I love that little prayer, because Jesus thanks God. But what does he thank him for? He thanks God that they see God's answer to his prayer with their eyes. He's thankful that people see God and experience him. And that's our prayer, Lord, that we too live out in a visible way God's reality. Ephesians chapter 5, very similar to the theme passage in 1 Thessalonians. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, I'll begin a little bit earlier, further up. Paul says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Remember his will from 1 Thessalonians. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only in the name of Jesus as we are in Christ positionally through faith in him that we can give thanks for all things that come our way because we know that we are God's children 
And everything we receive is from the hands of a loving God, either as a blessing to us or as a struggle, a trial, a test to grow us to be more in the image of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 50, the Joseph principle. Joseph shared, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God can use anything to bring about his good and perfect will if we're open to it. Paul again writes to the church in Rome, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's not what happens to us. It's our attitude in receiving it and seeing God at work in our lives. Before the worship team joins me once again on the platform, let's ask God to speak to us from his word. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, revealing to us the solid foundation, Lord, of a thankful life. Lord, help us to turn our eyes off self. Lord, taking pride in the little things that we can accomplish for just a season. And Lord, help us to rejoice in the amazing grace shown to us in Jesus' love for us, shown in its fullness on the cross, shown in victory on Easter morning at the empty tomb. And Lord, we pray that it will be shown each and every day to a hurting world through the sacrificial love of your children as they live their lives, Lord, thankful, grateful, joyful, and prayerful people. Lord, we know that's your will for us, and we seek your good and perfect will. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.